Hey everybody, welcome. Alright, it's the man himself, Joe Esposito this week. I'm so psyched. Surely you recognize this song. Everybody has to recognize this song. It's a classic. Uh, you're the best around. Originally, obviously, from the Karate Kid, which was what, 1984 or something like that? But it's like it's taken on a life of its own. It's still out there in the ether now, probably more than ever. My three-year-old kid sings it all the time. Joe started out in the 70s in a sort of disco group called Brooklyn Dreams. They sang on one of Donna Summer's biggest hits, Heaven Knows. He also wrote one of her biggest hits, Bad Girls. In the 80s, he did a ton of soundtrack work. Karate Kid, Flashdance might be the biggest thing. That's one of the highest selling soundtracks in history. He was also on the Coming to America soundtrack. He wrote for a bunch of other people. For the last 20 years, he's been a singer in Vegas. And uh, I want to track him down, because in my mind, he's a legend. I think you're going to love this one. He's a great storyteller. He's a total character. And just so you know, this is in two parts. He only had 25 minutes to talk. And so I'm scrambling, scurrying, trying to hurry and get all of my questions in. And thankfully, at the end, he offered to talk to me again. But the second time, he only had about 20, 25 minutes then, too. I was catching him in between shows in Vegas. So... The second part is me sort of getting a clarification on some of the stuff that came up in the first part, as well as, you know, other questions as well. I think you're going to love this one. I do. He called me from his home in Vegas. So Joe Esposito, not all people may know your name, but everybody knows your voice. And I think even generation after generation, it just becomes more and more recognizable because... You're the best is the song that just won't die, right? I think well, I saw you post something on. Oh yeah, go ahead, please tell me. No, get. Well, you know it's funny because I did that song over 30 years ago, and the hit from that movie was the Banana Rama tune. It's a cool, yeah. cool summer. Um, you're the best was for Rocky Three. Yes, 
It was originally oh. done for Rocky Three. I I did some work. Sylvester Stallone really liked the Brooklyn Dreams, and yeah. so basically, Ali Willis, who's one of the writers, and Bill Conti, who wrote the Rocky Classic. theme, wrote yep. wrote You're the Best, and it oh. didn't make it. But the director, John Alvison, liked it so much he put it in yep. the Karate Kid movie. Yes, and originally, let, let me let me tell you a little story about this. Because, yeah, please do. Uh, the record company for the Karate Kid had another artist sing it or another group, and John Alvison stepped in and says, "No, no, 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 no! I don't want that. I want the other guy, meaning me." <laughs> and so the song gets put into the movie, and then you know maybe because of a cult classic and sweep the leg Johnny and those fight yeah. scenes and <laughs> you know all of a sudden this song becomes a sports anthem like we will yes. rock you and yes. na 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 you know and uh and so it's it's you know it's almost like divine intervention to me cuz I'm a yes. spiritual guy and I feel like for all sure. the stuff that I've done some by by accident which happens a lot uh-huh. something comes sneaks through and and it becomes like i guess that's my legacy that particular yeah. song for me well you maybe know, I how do you feel about that i feel great about it you know you're okay uh, with that a, okay with that song of course yeah i mean if that goes yeah. if you you know if you become the guy who's saying you're the best and you've you've done a lot of other things in music which we'll also talk about but are you okay with that song being like you know your calling card yeah, I show sure am because there are other things. If people, you know, I mean, as we get into this, you'll you'll start to see that there's there's a lot of other things that I've done. But this one kind of sticks out. Hey, whatever it is, I'm happy. It's a positive, uh, uplifting song. Totally. And yeah, it's and uh, I'm very yeah. And you know, my son, one of my sons was a professional baseball player for the. I know he played he for the Rockies. Pro- I'm calling you from Denver. I'm a oh, huge okay, Rockies yeah, fan. That's right. Yeah. Right. And uh, so he and he told me when he was in college, he said, "Dad, you know you wouldn't you you wouldn't believe it, but this song, everybody loves this song." I'm like, "You're kidding me!" And I had and at that time it wasn't really that big. And he yeah. says, "Dad, it's, I'm telling you, everybody knows this song. They come out to it when they're pitching." And I'm like, "Wow!" Yes. And then all yeah. of a sudden it has a life of its own. So I thank God every day. That's all I can totally, tell you. totally. Yeah. And did I see you post something on Facebook that is? Trump using that song as like a campaign theme for him That's, now? When he comes into his campaign, he uses that song and he leaves with Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take This. <laughs> wow, wow. And don't now, you think the Daily, the daily News and a news, a news uh, paper organization in Detroit yeah. uh, got in touch with me and they wanted my opinion. And I said, I don't want to mix politics with mm-hmm. music. I really don't have an opinion right now. I'm watching like everybody else. Sure, I'm happy sure. he's using this song. And that's sure. the way I want to leave it for now. Good, you know what good. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I wouldn't have asked you to get detailed about your political views. But I do think that that's, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying. It's a testament to the longevity of that song. You know, it's funny. I remember just within the last, I don't know, five or six years, I went, it became a song that you kind of liked ironically. Like, oh, isn't this song cool, but it's also kind of funny and a little cheesy, and it reminds you of when you were a kid, at least me, because I'm in my 40s, early 40s. But then it would show up, like you said, in sporting events or, you know, it became a song to, like, pump you up. And then it's legit. And now you kind of hear it in a lot of places. You'll hear it in the background of a movie or you'll hear it, you know, in a commercial or somewhere like that. It's amazing. Absolutely. It really is. 
It is. And now one of the things that we talk about in this podcast is money because the focus is how do people who aren't like, you know, huge in the mainstream, how do those guys pay their bills? How do they sustain careers in music? And I want to get pretty deep because you're in Vegas as a, as a singer now, but do you get any peace or any kickback of any anything related to you're the best? Yeah, I do recently because here's what happened. I didn't write the song, so usually the writers get sure. the money. And uh, the artist gets paid like uh, it was a work for hire. And when I saw it in the commercial, it was uh, I think I think it was Ocho Cinco a few years ago was mm-hmm. playing a, a game and it was and it was like a thirty second spot. And now I've done jingles where even if I, you don't write the song, you're supposed to get paid as a singer. Yeah. So I yeah. I got in touch with some of the with the record company, and I was going to get an attorney on it. And and eventually they somebody called me and said, listen. You're absolutely right. You deserve to get paid. So I've been making money with this song now, which I never did make any money. But I've been making money with it, yes. And, you know, of course, you know, I call Road Bad Girls for Donna Summer. So let's let's go there then. I mean, I might ask for some a little more details about you're the best later, but we're talking about money. Well, first of all, I just have to say, I think you have one of the most distinct, incredible voices I've ever heard. It's so like masculine and hefty and muscular, but also sexy and emotional. And I'm kind of blown away that there's not like a, a ton of Joe Esposito solo albums out there. So I'm curious how you make your living. I know you do the club act in Vegas now, but do you make, did, did Bad Girls, is that a gift that just keeps on giving? I mean, is it helping uh, you yes, kind of maintain, pay your bills? And okay, good, good. Uh, it's one of the biggest songs she ever had. I make a decent a living with that. I wrote the good. main song in Rocky Four, the one where he fights Drago, the Russian. I wrote that. I didn't sing it, but the John Caffrey Wait, from the Beaver Brown Band. You wrote that? I love yeah, I John Cafferty. I've been trying to get him on this podcast. You wrote that song, Hearts on Fire? Yeah.
Oh, that's beautiful. I should send you my version. You can play it on your podcast. Oh, I would love it. Please do. If you go to my website, it's joebeanesposito.com. I'm looking right at it. Yeah. I have an album that I just did, Embrace Your Inner Child, and it's all original songs. Don't really know what's happening here. There's been a change in the atmosphere. Got a funny feeling coming over me. I can't wrap my head around it. There's a coldness in your heart and a burning in my soul. Why would you leave and let it all go? What do I tell the kids? Why you gone? Can't wrap my head around this. And I'm not feeling strong. My head around this When did it start? When did it fade? A love we shared Somehow slip away Can't believe What you're telling me today Can't wrap my head around this What happened to The promises we And I put Lady Lady on there And the next one I'm going to put You're the best I redid it So I wouldn't have to worry about you know, anything, any yeah. problems with the record company. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, if people want to get it, that's how they can get it. Yeah. So, uh, Very cool. and then I work, I have my partner who I work with. His name is Randy Hall. He used to play with Miles Davis and he also plays with Ray Parker Jr. Great guitar player, great singer. So I keep Rand- my chops up by doing this in Vegas. We do private things and then we, you know, we work in the casinos and I'm also the lead singer of the Brooklyn Bridge. I don't know if you know who the Brooklyn Bridge were. Not the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Dreams. Bridge. Now, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Dreams. What? Yeah, Brooklyn, What's Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge. Johnny, Johnny Maestro was the lead singer of the Brooklyn Bridge. He was in the Crests in the 1950s. He had 16 okay. Candles. Okay. He had a Step by Step. He had uh, a bunch of hit songs. And then in 1968, he had a song called The Worst That Could Happen. I heard you're getting married Heard you're getting married This time you're really sure And this is the end They say the group with the Dell Satins and himself, and they called it the Brooklyn Bridge. He passed away about five years ago. So about three years ago, I got a call to sing with them, and I've been singing with them ever since. So, you know, like I'll go back in October to New York, and we do a few gigs, and I come back home, and we've been working. So, you know, I I stay busy. Good. You mentioned Randy Hall. He has a song on a soundtrack, too, in the 80s, didn't he? I swear I have a song of Randy Hall's. Can't Buy Me Love? Is that right? Yes, yes, that's He's correct. He's the guy singing in that 
I don't know if you've even seen the movie, but isn't he the guy yeah. singing in that scene where they're dancing and it's yeah. the guy's dancing really awkward? That's him, right? Yeah. He's yeah. your musical partner? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. I wondered about yeah. that guy, too. Oh, great. Well, so, I'll, okay. I'll give, you, I'll give you his number, and if he says it's okay, I'll have him call you because uh, uh, you can interview him, too, if you like. Yeah, I would love that. Okay, so yeah. so tell me when – boy, we're all over. Okay, so tell me when yeah, Vegas came into be. Tell me how you got to I, Vegas, what you do in Vegas, what's the scene there? Well, you know, I, I was in L.A. for a long time, and then the music uh-huh. industry kind of turned. Everybody went to Nashville. I yes. decided to – I came – I'm also one of, the, one of the original members of Kenny Vance and the Planetones. I, don't I know did a gig here is. in Vegas with him. All right, he, Kenny Vance was in Jane the Americans. He also, oh, did, you know, and besides the being in Jane the Americans, he had Donald Fagan and Walter Becker as, in his band. Oh they backed up yeah. You'll find that Ken, yeah, Kenny Vance okay. is a big uh, like in the doo-wop thing. He's he's pretty huge okay. right now, and yeah. uh, he's been he's been and he produced. Uh, the John Cafferty, uh, Eddie and the Cruises. He produced that oh. album. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, great. So, uh, Very cool. The dark side's calling out on the She'll never know just how I feel. Out of the shadows, she walks like a dream. I wasn't getting that much work in, in L.A. anymore. And I got to tell you a funny story. I was signed to Capitol Records with Bruce Sedano. We had a group called Joe Bruce and Second Avenue. Yeah, I think we I read this story in, in another article. Please tell it. I was going to oh. ask you to tell this story. It's fascinating. Yeah, and Jim Mazur was the president, and I guess they let him go, and we just did a video. And then the next day, Joe Smith came in and fired everybody that Jim Mazur had signed. And so I was on Capitol Records, and then I had a friend says to me, listen, I got good news and bad news. The good news is, you know, I'm, I'm a painter. I could, you know, because I wasn't, I, I, you know, nothing was going on. He sure. says, I, I, uh, I, I paint, he goes, and I could pay you like, you know, I don't know, seventeen fifty an hour. This was back in the 80s. <laughs> and he goes, the bad news is it's Capitol Records. I'm painting Capitol Records. So I was signed to an, as an artist, and the next thing I know, I'm painting Capital oh. Records. Oh my God! And listen to this, and it's very funny. And it's as it as I was going through it, it wasn't so funny. But right, I'm, right. I'm scraping wallpaper off the wall in one of the rooms. I hear myself on the radio because I got nominated that year for a Grammy Best Pop Duo with Brenda Russell, Piano in the Dark.
That or, night, I put on a tuxedo and I went to the Grammys because I got nominated. And I'm still, and I'm, you know. So, you're you know, still scraping whatever, you go back the next day whatever, and scrape the wallpaper. Crazy. Yeah, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. But, so, so I mean, I'm confused, though. But you were just saying what a nice living you make from Batgirls. Had those royalties not kicked in yet or something? No, they, they were just not enough. In, but uh, it wasn't enough. Back then, I had a family. I had a house. Yeah. The interest yeah. rates were high. I lived in Redondo sure. Beach. My wife okay. wasn't working. So I, uh, I'm i the type of guy that's not going to sit around. And I yeah. would do yeah. – I've painted. I've hung wallpaper because I, when I, got, I can't start another career in between doing what I'm doing. Sure. So when sure. things were rough or not – you know, uh, you know, doing a lot of movie stuff or whatever, because you know, it goes up, it goes down. It, it, uh-huh. You know, things uh-huh. change. I worked. I had a producer yeah. tell me once, "Listen, don't get into debt. You know, and keep yeah. your head above water, and things will turn around." His name was Brooks Arthur. I'll never forget that. He told me that. He says, and I wow. always learned that. So I wasn't gonna like live off my laurels or live off the royalties. I always like yeah. having a cushion. That's what makes me feel comfortable. So I did what I had to do. And uh, guess what? It 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 did turn it worked. around. Yeah. That's yeah, just see that's this is the this is why I started this podcast is to find out stuff like this because you know a casual everyone who's just a regular person assumes that someone has a song on the radio or in a movie they must be rich and famous and right. live in big houses right. and be set for life. Right. The reality is that you got to hustle and sometimes right. in your case you hustle outside of the music industry if that's how you got to pay your bills and you you had lady lady lady. Behind masks, just subtle pantomime, but images reveal whatever lonely hearts can hide. Had the Bad Girls, you've had Piano in the Dark, you've got hits, but you still have this need to like, I still got to pay the bills, I still got to keep working, there's not enough music work coming in, so I still got to do labor, I got to do whatever I got to do to make ends meet, right? To get to the next step, to keep my head above yeah. water. Okay. And don't forget, okay. I had heaven, don't forget I sang Heaven Knows with her too, Donna Summer. Yes, yes, I know, yeah, yeah, I meant to mention that too. Yeah, yeah. no, I yeah. know. Crazy. Oh, this is fascinating. So when did you move to Vegas, and what is it exactly that you do in Vegas? I moved in 1994, and when I, you know, I couldn't get any. You you can't get work singing in clubs and stuff. I wasn't really singing with Donna too much anymore. She had a different band, because I used to go on the road with her, too. And uh, so my wife said, yeah, I could live here. So we went, and Mm -hmm. then I got into a show when I first moved here. It was Jeff Kutash's Splash. I was the lead singer for two years. And then, you know, I was able to maneuver and figure out what I wanted to do while I was in the show. And then I put a band together 
and I've been working ever since. You know, wow. just keeping my so you chops front up. Your, and, uh, yeah, you front your own band. You put on a show what every night, six nights a week? Uh, sometimes work? four nights a week, sometimes five nights a week, sometimes okay. three nights a week, sometimes okay. five, five times a month. It depends on what's going on. You know. Yeah, yeah. And where yeah. are you performing? Are you in the same hotel every time? No. I'm at the. I okay. have to be at the Palazzo right now, and and, okay. and the Label Lounge that's right next door to the Venetian, and uh, then I play at various casinos too. Okay, okay. My parents yeah. live in St. George, Utah. I'm down there in that area pretty often. So that's been your living. That's been your primary activity. Whether that's the main way you pay your bills, that's how you've been staying busy for 21 years now, right? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Wow, you know, amazing. I'm 67, so I can. People come up to me every night and say, "How old are you?" Because they can't believe that I could sing the way I sing. I know, and, no, and I'm glad. but I got to. I got to tell you because I never stop, and I'm in the gym all the time, and I live a clean oh, life. Thank Good. God, I still have a. No, I could still sing as long as I can do it on on the level that I want to do it at. I, I will continue to do it. I'm glad you said it because I've been thinking it and I wasn't sure if that would bother you, but there's a disconnect. It's very strange to hear your voice, which sounds the exact same as it ever did, coming out of a 67-year-old man. You know, I mean, my parents yeah. are almost your same age. And it's it's so strange because your voice is so hefty and you know virile and sexy. Not that you're not still all those things, Joe, but you know what I'm saying? You're an older man yeah, and you haven't I'm, lost a step. Well, well, you know, I look at people like Tony Bennett or whoever, and that guy is almost, he's 88 and he could still sing because he never stopped. So, yeah. you know, these are like role models for me. You know, George Foreman sure. was the title. He's almost 50 years old. Doing that, Those are like things that are like unheard of. So and I'm like, you know what? Right. Betty White, you know, 90 years uh -huh. old. I'm thinking, right. look, I, I, I don't want to stop. What am I? I yeah. you know, how, people say, when are you going to retire? Retire from art? How do you yeah, retire right. from art? Right, you know, and as long as you can keep uh, singing, why wouldn't you? As right? long as I can keep singing. Like, if I can't keep singing, then I would stop because that, yeah. that doesn't make sense. It's all good, buddy. That's all I can tell you. Okay, I'm, that's I'm great. I'm pretty happy. I, I keep writing. I keep doing what I do because it's all part of the thing. So. Oh, I'm so glad. That is so exciting. Yeah. I have the Solitary Men album, and I love that album. Oh. Tell me how that happened. Well, you know, through Donna. I'm, I assume it's through uh, Donna, yeah. Okay. Donna Summer, you know, Giorgio Moroda produced her. Of course. He started using me, doing stuff, and then he said, let's do an album together. So he wrote the songs, basically, and I sang them, really? and, that, and that's yeah. how we put it, and that's how we put that together. I think, I don't know if Keith Forsey might have wrote some of the lyrics on some of them. I'm not really sure. But uh, I think I Giorgio like did Forsey most of that. Too. Yeah, okay. great, great producer. Yeah, I did a lot of work for Giorgio Moroda, a lot of work. And, yeah, uh, yeah, so lady, you know, you're on the Flash Dance soundtrack. You got Solitary Men. Never sleep by myself Cause nights are too long For a single man No connections, no ties Hello and goodbye That's the way I am I can't satisfy your dream Don't you hang your heart on me Love you hard I love you long Leave it 
talked to him, or have you done anything with him? Every for... now and then, you know, I got to I got to tell you another interesting story. When uh, yeah. when that album came out, there was really only two hits off that album: "A Maniac" and "What a Feeling." And "Lady Lady" was supposed to be the third single, but because Giorgio Moroda had his, his own publishing deal in Europe, uh, there was a there was a discrepancy between uh, Polygram. They didn't want to give up, let him have the rights for Europe. So because of that, that song really never came. It was a hit all over the world except yeah. the U.S. And if right. you remember Footloose, there were like four hits off that album. Oh, yeah. That should have been the third hit. So he apologized to me. Before Donna passed away, we had breakfast together one day. Myself, oh. Bruce, Bruce Sedano, who was her husband, and Giorgio. Uh-huh. And he was apologizing for me for holding me back. I said, well, Giorgio, you know what? All right, it didn't happen, but it's, believe me, I, I, I had some success. Thank you very yeah. much. I was happy to be a part of it. And what, what am I going to say? You know, well, and that song was a hit other places? All over the world except the U.S. Really? Wow. I would go to Europe, and people would say to me, what's your name, Joe Esposito? No. You Joe Esposito from Flashdance? Yeah. <laughs> no. And then I'd have to show them my passport to say, yeah, it's yeah. me. I mean, oh, lady, lady, God. you sang that? You know, yeah, so, you know. <laughs> Hey, what can I do? Wow. You know. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Okay. Well, before you go, we'll do this. We'll do a part two some other time. But I want to, why, all I know, and again, I mean, maybe there's more information out there that I'm just not seeing, but it sounds like you've got one or two sort of independently released solo albums now and the Solitary Men album. What What was going on in the middle? Could you just... Could you not get a deal? Could was was a solo album never a focus for you? Um, yeah, what, what was the story really, there? I don't know. I you know I I just didn't uh, I didn't really do anything except sing, and yeah. uh, I would write a little bit here and there and stockpile some songs. You know, this album really didn't sell that many copies. The album that I just did, but I do yeah. it not even for that. I do it for the love of the music and to sure. and to uh, and to you know just not vent, but uh, yeah. Yeah. My 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 life experiences. So if you yeah. if you listen to the album, you'll hear different things. One is about my brother who passed away, uh, Donna. I wrote a song about her. I wrote a song about okay. my grandkids, and you know. So there's wow. a lot of different stuff on there. It's a pretty good album too, actually. Good. I'll uh, check you know it out. What? You uh, yeah you yeah do me a favor, check it out because I think you'll. Like I will it. for sure. Well, but here's and, the thing: uh, like I can't find. I had to listen to Brooklyn Dreams. I listened to every one of your albums, song by song, on YouTube. Because right. I couldn't find the whole albums anywhere. They're not on Spotify or iTunes or anything. So I would listen to a song on YouTube, and then when it was over, I'd write up the next song and search for that, and then listen to that one. And I went through all three of your first, well, the first three albums that way. So how do you right. get your hands on Embrace Your Inner Child? Do you have to go to a show, buy it from you? Do you no, buy you it off the website? No, you have to go to my, my, my website. And uh, okay. you know what I'll do? I'll send you a copy. All right, that's the end of part one. Before we get into part two, though, I thought it'd be interesting to listen to a little bit of his version of Hearts on Fire. So take a listen to this.
Okay, Good. so I was listening back to our interview from last week, and there were two things that I just wanted to ask you about again to sort of clarify the situation. So as much as I love that story about you painting Capitol records before going to the Grammys, I'm still fuzzy on why, if you wrote and had to have a credit on Donna Summer's biggest hit, do you, is that, you don't make enough money off that to live? No, that's not the, no, that's not it. What happens is you get a chunk of money in the beginning, then it levels off after Uh, a few years. Okay. You see, until something else happens, and like it winds up in the movie. So once those big royalties come in, then you of course you got to pay a lot of taxes on them. Yeah. You know, plus that flash, it it levels off. It's not you know you can't unless you're Donna Summer or Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel, where you have hit after hit after hit. You know, it's for me. I only had I had a couple of hits, but like I say, it levels off. Yeah. Okay. And then you can't you can't live off of that. And I didn't want to be the type of guy who's living off his royalties and, you know, live paycheck to paycheck. Totally, totally. I don't blame you at all. I know regular people don't know that, you know. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is I'm still fuzzy on why there weren't more Joe Esposito solo albums. Well, Because there was the Marauder one, and then that's kind of it, right? Well, it was it for a lot of years. Yeah, well, I don't know. I was just, uh, I This was never your focus? No, not yeah, really, not really. And I, you know, I was trying to make money and do different things, and and then there, were, you know, there were no record deals available. So I decided okay. to, work. after a certain amount of time, a friend of mine raised some money, and we did a record in his studio. And then I waited a bunch of years before I said, you know what, my friend Bruce Sedano was doing his own records and putting yeah. them out on his own from the, you know, he was from the Brooklyn Dreams too. He's married sure, to Donna, sure. obviously. And I yep. said, well, I could do the same thing. And then I started, then I got a, a Mac computer and I got the software like Digital Performer. Uh-huh. And I started uh-huh. to get some plugins and I started to learn. And that takes a little while to figure that stuff out yeah, and then bring yeah, musicians yeah. over. And then, you know, so now, I mean, I'm doing some stuff here and there, but, you know, there's not too many record deals out for, for no, a lot of I us know. anymore. I know now. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just thought back in the day, you would have had enough heat from Lady, Lady, Lady. And writing Heaven Knows, you wrote Heaven Knows, right? Or have at least a co No, I only sang, oh, no, I didn't write that. Okay. Baby, please. Baby, please. Please don't take your love from me. Please don't take your love from me. I am yours forevermore. Evermore. Till eternity. Oh, oh, oh. Silently. So silently. Listen to the words I say. That, okay. that was Giorgio Moroda and Pete Pilati and Donna. Wow, okay, okay. I yeah. figured he produced no, it. I didn't, I didn't like know it. if you wrote it. But, uh, yeah, yeah no, I, just, I, I just thought maybe there was, I just love your voice so much. I, I wish I would gobble up any Joe Esposito that was available. If, I, if, I, uh-huh. if there was more of it, I would just keep gobbling it up, you know? But, well, so John, if there, were a million, if, there, if there were a million people like you, I'd have a career. <laughs> I mean, not that I don't. I'm just saying, you know, I wouldn't right, have to do right, what right. I, you know. Go ahead. That's, that's just the thing. I, that's, again, another 
recurring theme in these podcasts is why people who are obviously so talented, the the chips just don't fall in the right place to line up for them to have these giant careers. Luckily, you're still doing it, and you're out there doing it in a way you like it. That makes me happy. So I want to talk about Brooklyn Dreams. So how did you guys get discovered in the first place? Well, I'll tell you what. I was uh, in, uh, very good friends with a guy named Vinny Poncia, who produced Melissa Manchester. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he, he, he wrote and, some he, Kiss. and he, he did Kiss. Well, yeah, you know your it. stuff. That's, that's great. Yeah, I do. And so oh, yeah. he went to California. He said, come to California. I could help you out. And I was, you know, I was doing, I was working in clubs in Brooklyn. Coincidentally, I was working in a club in Brooklyn that Peter Chris <laughs> from Kiss worked oh, in. Oh, really? And another, guy na- and another guy named Charlie Jet. Charlie, uh, what the heck was his name? He wrote the "Living in America." I forget his name. Charlie. Oh something. yeah, uh, Charlie, Mid- Char- Charlie Midnight, I think. Charlie well, and uh, he and also Dan Hartman. Does that name ring? Dan about? Hartman. That yes, that's correct. I and, love uh, Dan Hartman. And, we, and I knew Charlie Midnight, and so we okay. all came out of the same area, like in Brooklyn. I decided to go to California, and Eddie decided to come with me, and we okay. drove out to California, and then Bruce met us out maybe about, I want to say, six weeks later, and Susan Mineo, who was the vice president of marketing at Casablanca, said, why don't you guys, because I was going to try to do a solo thing with Vinny. She said, listen, uh, you know, uh, she just she just became vice president. Why don't you guys make a demo, and uh, we'll bring it to Neil Bogart. We made the demo. And I think Jimmy Einer got involved somehow, who was based out of New York. He loved it, and he made a, a distribution deal through Casablanca. So I went to California, and I got a record deal in New York. Nice. After all those nice. years wow. of trying, I go to Crazy. California, and, and then everything sort of comes together. Then yeah. we meet Donna. Bruce and her fall in love. We write some songs together. We wrote Bad Girls, and it sat on the shelf for a couple of years, you know. It, did you write it with the call. intention of Donna recording it, or did you write it for yourself? No, we were playing Who's That Lady, and then Donna said, I got this idea for this Bad Girls. I want to write something, you know, about street girls, and, oh, and she started nice. saying, we wrote the song in like 10 minutes, and it was on a shelf, and they needed one more song for the double album, and the engineer happened wow. to say, what about that song, Bad Girls? Oh, wow. <laughs> and it became wow. the title of the album. Yeah. You know, that's a gift from God. That's a gift from oh, God. Totally. I mean, I always like go like, wow, I... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like unbelievable, but, you know, for all the years that we put in, we got something, you know, Good. and it was one of the so biggest great. hits. So, so that's how that came together. Mm. And now, uh, the whole and time, a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. You go. Well, I was going to ask go you. But, so, Brooklyn Dreams. Obviously, I'm imagining you're in New York. I know you're from there. You just mentioned you had to go to California to get a record deal back in New York. Did you stay headquartered or home based there in LA, or did you guys then make, pick up sticks and go back to New York? No, we stayed in L.A. for a bunch of years. You did? Okay. Because yeah. I was going to ask you if you had any crazy, like, Studio 54-type stories. I went with Donna, Eddie, and Bruce to the opening. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, and it it was wild. That's all I, I could bet. tell you. It was wild. I bet. Yeah. So yeah. it's so everything we were we've been told that it was. Yes. Except, you know, I really was, we weren't really into that scene. We didn't get heavy in drugs and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we dabbled a little bit, and then we were like, nah, sure. this ain't for us. You know, yeah. so, and I had my 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 girlfriend, who was my became my fiancé and became my wife, and she's still with me, and I right. was pretty grounded. And then Bruce had yeah. Donna, and, and Eddie had somebody. So we were pretty level-headed guys, you know what I mean? Wow, yeah. Because, you know, a lot of those guys passed away from drugs, even years oh, later, totally. after they... 
you know, from a lot of cocaine and stuff, all of a sudden, 20 sure. years later, boom, somebody drops dead of a heart attack because yeah. of the abuse, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, we survived okay. it okay. You've been to Studio 54. You've seen it firsthand. You People talk about it. Yeah. And you know you've been there. Okay. Crazy. Well, I was there I was there once. That's all. Right. For the opening. Uh, you know, you the, were, okay. yeah, for the opening. And I saw yeah. what was going on, and, yeah, it was, you know, it was crazy. And, uh, you know, I really wasn't much in the club scene. Now, when I was younger and I lived in Brooklyn, I used to go to the Electric Circus and Sanctuary. Uh, and I saw a lot of, I saw like, you know, Ike and Tina Turner. I wow. saw Hendrix. I saw the Chambers Brothers. I yeah. saw Leslie West. I saw a lot of people at the Electric Circus growing up. Wow. Nice. Heavy influence for me, you know, that yeah. was beautiful. I mean, yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about Donna. I mean... She's an icon. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now. You knew her, like, during the height. How did you guys get introduced to her? You mentioned earlier well, we that were... we met Donna, but how does that actually happen? Well, we were staying at Susan Maneo's house in Beverly Hills, and here comes this red Mercedes with Love to Love You, L-T-L-Y, on a license plate, pulling up, like, jerking, like somebody didn't know how to drive, uh, you know, and uh, it was uh, her. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, hi, you know, nice to meet you. And I'm like, well, how come uh-huh. you're driving like that? She says, I don't know. I just got a car. I don't really know how to drive. And we kind of hit it off. <laughs> we hit it off. I got to tell you something. Even though she was Donna Summer, to us, she was like just very normal and regular. Really? And not, okay. yeah, not, no, not with us. She was really a good, good woman. She helped a lot of my family members out. My brother-in-law needed work. He was going down in the walls. He came, to, and she gave him money to bring his family out. And she created jobs for him on the ranch. She had a shed that she wow. says, "I want a staircase." She made stuff up so he could make money. This is the type nice. of person she was, That's you know. Great. And That's great. and been a very. She came to my daughter's uh, in Brooklyn to my daughter's commu- uh, confirmation, and she stood up for her. You know, the whole wow. church was, like, buzzing. My yeah. daughter was telling everybody, Donna Summer's coming. They're like, yeah, right. And then all of a sudden she shows up, and it was, you know, that's the kind of stuff that she would yeah. do. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. you know, terrible loss for all of us. Just a great, great person. That's all I can good. tell you. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Okay. I read another name in your history, and I'm blanking now. I think were some of the Brooklyn Dream albums produced by Paul Estee? Bob Estee produced the second Sleepless Nights yeah. al- album, and he also produced Share, Take Me Home, and did okay. a lot of yeah. He's done a, he did a lot of stuff. That was kind of a disco album. Neil Bogart wanted us because he was a disco guy, and we did our first album was yeah. kind of like an R and B Hall and uh-huh. Oates ish type of record. He wanted a disco album, so we did like kind of a, a dance record with Bob Estee.
I think Bob Esty, it's pure coincidence. When I was getting ready to talk to you last week, I was listening to so much Brooklyn Dreams that I was getting into it. I was like in the mood for disco. That's what I've, I've, I've heard you say in other interviews that you don't consider Brooklyn Dreams disco, but that's the mood it put me in at the time. So I was listening right. to the Roller Boogie soundtrack, and I saw his name right. on the Roller Boogie soundtrack. And I thought, wow, okay. how crazy that I would listen to that and then see his name in connection to you. Did you yeah. guys not see yourself as being part of the disco genre? Was that not what you were going for? Nah, not, no, we weren't. We wanted to be more like the Doobie Brothers. Oh, or, really? Uh, or, yeah, absolutely. But Neil said, listen, I don't know what to do with this, so give me a disco album and I'll, you know, we'll help you. Yeah. So we did it, but it didn't work, really. It didn't work. Huh. Do you think, looking back now, if you had not gone kind of the disco route and stayed more in, like, the straight-up rock route, like a Doobie Brother album, do you think you might have had more success or different success? It or? could have been. You know, Jimmy Ina wanted us to work with Johnny Sandlin on our, on that second album, and he was the guy that produced the Allman Brothers. He had the right idea, but it was knocked down, and it never, it never materialized. So, you, you know, you never know. You really, okay. uh, you know, it's hard to yeah. say. You know, it's almost like... I always uh, equate it to like being like, a, say you're a great quarterback. You need mm -hmm. a great offense and you need a great defense. And if you don't have all those elements, no matter how great you are, you're not going to win. Yeah, so it, it takes a lot to get everything, the machine, yeah. the record company, the promotion, the right yeah. material, hit so you know what I'm saying, for it to be mm -hmm. a hit. I do. That makes and, perfect uh, sense. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So why are Brooklyn Dream albums so hard to get? I mean, they're, you can't buy them on iTunes. They're not on Spotify or anything. They I don't even know. Come out, are they even on CD? Do you have any time? Yes, they put a compilation album out called The Casablanca Years. Oh, that you can I did get. see that. You're right. Okay. And that's yeah. a compilation of all of the best of the four albums that we did. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. And that, that would I'm be the album to that. get. I'm, okay. Yeah. Good. I only have yeah. one copy, otherwise I'd send it to you. So. Oh, that's fine. I, that's fine. I don't, yeah. I'll pay for music. I'll support Joe yeah. Esposito. Um, okay, well, I, I got two that. more things I want to ask you about. One is okay. you apparently have a Beatles story, right? Oh, well, Vinnie Poncia, one of the first things when I went to California, uh -huh. Uh -huh. calls me up one day and says, I got a session. You want to, are you busy? I said, am I busy? No, come on. So we're driving and, you know, we're going to Cherokee Studios and he doesn't tell me who it is, and we're singing. I walk in, I see Ringo Starr, oh and gosh. I'm like, I'm almost pooping in my pants. I'm like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And then I see Arif Mardin. Arif was, yes. you know, he produced, yeah. he, he produced Hall and Oates with guy Tom, yep. Hall and Oates, Tom Dowd, Atlantic producer. He produced Respect. He produced yes, Donny Hathaway. He did, you're right. Yep. He produced the Bee Gees, you know, when they were doing all that slow stuff. He gave them, like, yep. drive talking, and he gave yep. them the formula to do Saturday Night Fever and all that stuff. Wow. So then, unexpectedly, Paul McCartney comes in with Linda McCartney. And here I am. I'm singing backgrounds on a, with Melissa Manchester, Vinnie Ponce on a song, and Paul McCartney standing there watching us.
down, he's clapping, and I'm thinking, ah, this is the first thing I did when I went to L.A. I called Eddie on, on the side. I was like, I'm never leaving. Two of the Beatles are here. This is unbelievable. I'm staying forever. You know, and Vinny was like saying a month ago, you were in New York working in clubs, and now you're out, you're yeah. here, you know, with, with the Beatles. And Ringo yeah. was telling a story about the Queen and, you know, about playing yeah. Shea Stadium. They couldn't hear anything. They did. Well, people were screaming. Oh. They couldn't even hear themselves. Yeah. So and I'm like, and on the and it's the Ringo Rotogravure album. And if you look on the back, it's pictures. Rotogravure means photographs in French. So if you uh-huh. look on the back, there's you know there's Peter Frampton, there's Eric Clapton, there's uh-huh. and then there's Joe Benesquito. I'm like the only unknown no on the album. Way. And the picture no way. That was the first <laughs> thing I did when I got to L.A. He hired Oh, me. that's incredible. You must have been so, dying. Out of nowhere, you're in the same room with Ringo, and you're produ- and you're recording with them, and then Paul walks. Yeah, in. you're dying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. So it was cool. just unbelievable. Well, if it means anything to you, Joe, and I'm not just blowing smoke, I swear this, Joe Esposito would be the guy I would get most excited about on that picture on the back. Clapton's fine, well, I, Ringo's fine, but Joe Esposito is cooler to me. So I want, well, and I'm not blowing I, smoke. I mean that. I really appreciate that, John. Final question for you. What are you performing in Vegas? What style of it is your show? Are you singing you doing, like a compilation well, I'm of not do, No, no, because oh. we're doing like dance stuff. We're doing like next, Too Close by Next. We're doing No Diggity. We do Marvin Gaye. We do Bruno wow. Mars. My, Randy, Randy does like Uptown Funk and all that stuff. People in these lounges want to dance. Every now and then somebody will come up to me and say, are you the guy from the Karate Kid? And then I'll uh-huh. do You're the Best. Or something like that, or Lady Lady, yeah. But I do more of that stuff with the Brooklyn Bridge now. When Uh, I'll do Lady Lady, Heaven Knows, and You're the Best Around, and you can see that on. If you put in Brooklyn Bridge uh, on YouTube, you'll see some of the stuff Uh they got. Some of me performing live with them, you know. Well, that's pretty much everything I wanted to ask you about, Joe. I just think you're the greatest, and I, uh, I love everything you do. And I, like I said, if there was more of it, I would listen to it. I think you're great, and I'm so happy you, that you have a job you're happy with. I am, and I, I'm still doing what I'm doing, I'm still, and I can still write songs, and I'm, I'm not, good. I'm, I don't know how current it is, but I'm, I, you know, I'm a pretty good songwriter. Well, I whatever, I know. I wish you were written, you have, richer and more famous, you, but I'm happy for you. All right, there you have it, Joe Esposito. I can't believe I spoke with the man who sang all of those great songs. He's a legend in my mind. Now, there's a giveaway. He sent me a copy of his recent solo album called Embrace Your Inner Child. I will mail that to the first person who tweets me at the Hustle Pod or emails me at thehustlepod at gmail.com and tells me they want it. In fact, why don't we do this? Email me or tweet me and tell me who you want me to look out for and get on this show. I'll send it to the first person. Find us on iTunes. Write us a review, please. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Pass it around. Hopefully you like this. Stay in touch. Next week, we are talking to Randy Hall, his musical director, who, if you didn't catch on in that interview, is the guy performing in Can't Buy Me Love when they do the African anteater ritual at the school dance. He's the guy performing at that dance. Now, he's done a million other things, including working with Miles Davis. That guy has stories. You're going to be knocked out by this guy. Thanks to everybody, especially Yan Makevich, Yan the man for producing this episode. We love him. 
Stay in touch, everybody. Find us on Facebook, like our page, communicate with us however you want. Talk to you later.